Victor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Philip Veyers from Brisbane, Australia, and our topic is, Is the Grass Greener? Um, Phil will be telling you about when he left South Africa to go to um, uh, Australia. But first, I just want to say that it is Yomazikaron Day today, and it is in remembrance of for IDF soldiers who have fallen, and and in all people who have been lost to terror attacks. Um, and we go from here straight into Yomazikaron, which is the celebration of of Israel, and also shows the gratitude that we are still being um, protected by the army, by the IDF, by all the protectors to actually be able to live in our in our homeland, Israel. And the strange thing is that today is also Philip and um, Anzac Day, which is uh, the, the memorial National Day of Remembrance in Australia and New Zealand, and it commemorates all Australians and New Zealanders who served and died in all wars, conflicts, and peacekeeping operations. So we've got something in common with uh, with Israel. Hello, Phil. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Sue, can you hear me? I can. I can hear you quick, uh, clearly. I can't see you, but I can hear you. Uh, can you hear me clearly? I've got your strength five. All good. Oh, good. And how, how very good to hear your voice and see your face, even if you can't see mine. But yeah. I think um, that, 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 that may be a benefit. In fact. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to see your face, Phil. Philip and I are related <laughs> through marriage. We share an uncle, aunt, and cousins. So in other words, we are Angetre de Family or Mishpocha, whichever one you want to, to know. And Philip and I met quite a few years ago at what he called his uncle, his grandfather's uh, airport, Jan Smuts Airport, which is now Oliver Tambo Airport. Tell me why we met, Phil. Well, see, um, five years ago, in November, five years ago in November, or leading up to November 2017, I was approached by Telfed in the person of Peter Bailey to ask whether I'd be prepared to fly to Israel to do some talks on uh, on Jan Smuts, the Chaim Weizmann, and specifically the Balfour Declaration as it was the centenary that was being celebrated. And uh, they put out a poster uh, the only time I think I've ever been given top billing in my life. <laughs> and um, you responded to the poster that Telfed put out. And um, Peter then sent me uh, your mail and said, well, you, would you like to respond to this? And your mail said, well, you are the niece of Yanni Smuts, the Obas's younger son. And uh, you'd, you'd be very keen on attending. So I said to Peter, well, this is actually very interesting because Yanni is my great uncle. And um, his wife, Daphne, was my godmother, and we'd never met. So uh, you and I entered into email communications, and it turned out that you were the niece 
of my godmother Daphne and uh, we shared an, an aunt and uncle uh, in my case a great aunt and a great uncle and we then uh, met at at the uh, the family airport and uh, well, <laughs> what was previously the family airport and had an iced coffee before you very kindly and gently guided me through the extremely rigorous security arrangements before one could get on board an LL uh, in those days a 767 which had seen better days as you will remember <laughs> I knew you were going to say um, that <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and off we went to um, to Ben Gurion Airport in uh, in Tel Aviv right and, uh, a wonderful wonderful 10 days was was had certainly by me and I I think um you share that uh, that sentiment very definitely, and we we all ended up as being friends. And you've been a good friend of mine ever since, as has Peter and Joel and Beryl and Jeannie. So it's been wonderful. Now you know it's been Phil, fantastic. I also found it very meaningful that we actually met today. Uh, when I actually booked the day, I didn't realize it was going to be Yoma Zikaron and then Yoma Atzmaot. But I'm so pleased we have met today because you are a staunch Zionist. And um, one of the things I remember you saying very clearly that you quite liked walking through Renana and hearing people say, how's it? How do you say it? Well, the first the first talk I gave was in Renana mm-hmm. in the basement of a shul that was r- arranged by another very good mutual friend, Rob Hyde. And... Um, and I was, I was feeling, you know, a little unaccustomed to where I was. I, mean, I was in a strange country and very few people spoke um, my lingo. <laughs> and, um, and then as the people arrived in uh, this hall, we said, how's that? How's it going? <laughs> you felt and at home. I thought, okay, I'm at home. <laughs> I'm comfortable again. And um, as I said, wonderful, wonderful people. I didn't have... I don't recall there being a single jarring note in, in all the 10 days that I was there. Not one. Wonderful people. That's wonderful to hear. Now, tell me about the Obos, um, your grandfather, General Jan Smuts. Um, he was a, uh, he said that he was a Christian Zionist. So, you know, it's, it's appropriate also for, for us to have him on today. Now, one of his, one of the final things that he did, was uh, to recognize the state of Israel in 1948. Tell me how that came about. Well, he made a commitment to Dr. Chaim Weizmann. Early on, they met in 1917, and Chaim Weizmann uh, was a physicist uh, and a very brilliant physicist and was to become, as we know, the first president of Israel. And the boss and... Dr. Weissman hit it off. They became close personal friends to the extent that Dr. Weissman visited the Obas um, at the big house in Irene. Hmm. And the last overseas trip that the Obas ever made, and against doctor's advice, was to London um, to make the address at Dr. Weissman's 75th birthday function. Hmm. And that was the last trip he ever made to, to London. But he made a commitment. Dr. Weissman's um, vision, which was initiated, as we know, by Theodor Herzl, um, was a homeland for uh, for the Jews. And, and let's face it, they've been persecuted um, uh, persecuted through through the ages, and it continues today, very sadly, as we know as well. And 
the Obosh-Shed division, Obosh upbringing, obviously Calvinistic, uh, very conservative, but he was taught, as was I as a child, which probably had a bearing on my, on my current beliefs, uh, my beliefs today certainly, that Israel was, or Palestine was where the Jews came from, uh, historically, the Obos believed that firmly, and I think that was the basis for for his determination to establish or to be part of the establishment of of uh, a Jewish homeland. And at any rate, he, um, the British then, as we know, put together a document called the Balfour Declaration, in which they expressed their view and support of a Jewish homeland um, in what was then um, Palestine. And the Obas was at that stage on the Imperial War Cabinet and had direct access, obviously serving on the cabinet, um, he could have discussions with Chaim Weizmann um, over a cup of coffee. I don't think they had beers between the two of them, <laughs> but over a cup of coffee. And and then uh, maybe carry those thoughts, those sentiments into the war cabinet. At any rate, as we know, the, the Balfour Declaration came to be, and then the, the problem was how to make this possible. And we're going to and get back to the, that, Phil, shortly. Sure. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. I'm back on air with uh, Philip Thayer's, General Smuts's grandson, and uh, we're going to get on to the topic shortly, is the grass greener? Because Philip is now living in Brisbane, Australia. But before then, you ended, you were talking about the Balfour Declaration and... and um, Obos's relationship with Chaim Weissman, Phil. Are you back there? I'm back here, Sue. Mm-hmm. I must just tell you something just before I get to um, to the Balfour Declaration again. Um, I was very concerned that when your listeners uh, heard that I was going to be back again and they were going to say, oh, no, not again. How many times do we have to endure this fellow? Um, that <laughs> they I love got you, hold of a couple you? of. <laughs> they do. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I got hold I got hold of a couple of friends in South Africa. I said, listen, please tune in because at least then there'll be two of you listening. And they are <laughs> Professor Monica de Santos and Ron Thomas. Hello, uh, Ron, Monica. By the way. And hello, Ron. Yes. Uh, Ron is a, is, a, is a very staunch follower and listener of, of High FM. Oh, good, and, Ron. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, and Monica is one of the, the handful of people I've ever met who understands holism. Yeah. She actually gets it. I, uh, I've i told you I've read the first three pages about half a dozen times mm. and three pages about as far as my brain will take me. And but, that was <laughs> definitely one of your grandfather's passions was holy. Oh, absolutely. Mm. absolutely. And when he wrote okay. that, he's, he's famous on, um, um, on the mountain. Oh, that, that was just so. The sermon, yeah. The sermon on the mountain. Yeah, absolutely. But, absolutely. You know, Phil, the just, the mountain, yeah. just thinking about, about us and the Balfour Declaration when we eventually met each other, that was at the centenary of it in Israel. Um, we, we, I think we were as surprised as each other, actually. I mean, you met me and you, you knew that I was, uh, uh, my, I had family in Israel, my daughter. 
and uh, and I th- and then also you helped me with my granddaughter's project. I don't think you or I would ever have imagined that I would have a grandchild who was going to be doing a roots project on her Jewish roots with my father, who was a, a bomber com- in bomber command in the RAF in Britain, and and had, was one of the ones who had to go through Bergen Belsen afterwards, and um, and and your input. Of General Smuts and his input with starting the RAF. So, and I want to tell you that she actually won that project, that Roots project for her school. I sent you the, the, um, the message about it. But wasn't that amazing, Phil, that it's funny, these cycles of life, you know, it's almost, I don't know if it's a circle or a cycle, but it's amazing how we end up all being related and Anchet Throder somehow. <laughs> I, I think it's wonderful. I think that's one of the joys of life is discovering these connections. I and think there are so, so many. I think they talk so. about six degrees, but it's in fact a lot closer than that. <laughs> but just to complete the Balfour Declaration, yes. um, at the time of the Balfour Declaration, First World War on the go, the Ottoman Empire, the Turks were uh, in possession of the property, um, of the land. And interestingly, when they were defeated and playing a substantial role in the defeat, in the defeat of the Ottoman Empire in Palestine, was the South African colored, a Cape colored corps. Mm. So the, that was particularly interesting. And then what transpired after that was that the League of Nations, which was a creation of the Obal, essentially, he wrote a book called The League of Nations, A Practical Suggestion. Um, they had a conference at San Remo, and the, the, but the question was, how do we give the Jewish, the Jews of the world, this land. How do we give them the land back? And the Obos came up with an idea, which they called the Smuts Resolution, in which they created the mandate system. And England was given a Class A mandate over Palestine. And South Africa, as we'll know, as we know, was uh, given a Class C mandate over what was then Deutsche Südwestafrika. Mm. And... England was on that basis able to say, well, okay, here we go. We're going to fulfill our obligation. Um, and as we all know as well, England then did the very best to their very best to stymie and prevent Jewish immigration to, to Palestine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every time the grand, the grand mufti of Jerusalem sneezed, England caught a cold to paraphrase, uh, to paraphrase another, uh, another saying. Unfortunately, um, and and England would get cold feet and say, okay, we've now got enough Jews. And the reason they wouldn't allow any more Jews in was that they said that it was, they were out of space, habitable space. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Israel now, um, with what the Israelis have managed to achieve, um, it is a, a, a 180 degree difference to what the Brits used as a, as an excuse for, um, attempting to prevent, um, immigration to, uh, to Palestine. Absolutely. And what, when you think of what they've actually done on their limited uh, resources of land, it's, it's an absolute miracle. If you'd like to SMS us, you can on 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. Now, Phil. We could go on talking about this because, funny enough, you know, new listeners tune in all the time. So there's so many who who haven't heard our story, which is why I started with it. But now I want to go uh, on to your 
leaving South Africa, you were a, a true South African, a, a, a son of our soil. And what, what has it been like for you to actually leave? The build-up. Let's Shoot. look at the build-up. To start at the beginning, um, I think the seed was sown when we had an armed robbery on at our home in Irene. Mm-hmm. And for two and three quarter hours, we were bound and gagged while they ransacked our house. Oh. Um, mercifully, nobody was hurt. Uh, emotional scars, obviously, but nobody was physically harmed. And I think that sowed the seed. And then my son-in-law um, was flying... Uh, he was an airline pilot for SA Express, mm. and he was headhunted by Qantas in South Africa to fly for Qantas. Um, my son was flying for Airlink at the same time, and as it transpired, Paul, my son-in-law, got out of SA Airlink before the government managed to destroy it, mm. and is now a line training captain for Qantas, so he's done extremely Gosh, well for himself. very well. Um, and so it was, my son-in-law came over and to do the conversions and so on. Uh, my daughter, and most importantly, then my grandson, who was two, followed him. Um, Your beloved then, Sam. My little Sam, yeah. Mm. He's not so small, he's eight years old now, can you believe? <laughs> and and then my my son had it all, all prepared, the pathway prepared to fly for Qantas as well, and then COVID happened. And he was still determined to to leave and to um, to move to what he saw as greater possibilities, um, and got a student visa and is now doing electrical engineering. Oh my and gosh! Obviously, so he's, he's still a pilot, and the option remains open to him to go through refreshes and conversions. And uh, uh, it may just happen that one day he also goes to Qantas. Mm. But it then left my wife and I. Uh, back in Centurion with the entire family here. Mm. And the only connection were the daily uh, FaceTime calls, um, which did happen daily, and they lasted for an hour, hour and a half every single day, my wife and my daughter. And eventually we figured out, well, no, this is actually pointless, so we, we need to come across as well. So we then got a one-year visitor's visa, came across here and the, the visa prevents you, the, the terms of this particular visa, the conditions, prevents one from applying for another visa during the currency of this one. So we're going to have to go back to South Africa in August hmm. um, to apply for new visas in preparation for um, application for the aged parent visa when we get back here, which one can do onshore. It's an ex- extremely expensive business. I was just going uh, to say, my gosh, that's really an expensive pr- uh, procedure to come back here and then go back again. And Gosh. Well, luckily we get um, contest concessionary tickets. Uh, so it works out, out at, I think, about 10% of, of routine fares. Hmm. Um, the aged parent visa, by the way, um, costs half a million rand per person. Good heavens. And that's the bad news. The good news is that that takes 30 years to process. And <laughs> in 30 years' time, I, I'm fairly 
fairly confident in saying that in 30 years' time, I'll be pushing up daisies somewhere. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully not really. But, uh, the 30 but, years' so time, you will called. be an aged parent. Oh, very much so. I'll be a, a complete crop by that stage, I think. Uh, oh, my gosh. So that's, that's, that's the plan. But mm. having said which, I'm looking forward so very, very much to, to coming back home. Um, it's, it's never left my heart, ever. What do you want to get back to? What do you want to most see? My people. Mm. Um, I've got some incredibly special friends there who mean the world to me. Um, and it's, it's my home. Mm. It's everything that I know. Um, and I, I think, you know, that everything that, I've, that I'm used to, I know. I'm a fairly gregarious person. My wife would say I'm over familiar and I talk too much, but um, I knew everybody at all the shops I used to go to. Mm. You know? And there was the Smuts House in the big house, which I love going to. And I, I'm so looking forward to going back there again. Um, it's just a serene place for me. Um, so there's, there's so much, you know, it's just. It's just me, really, I suppose. I think it's being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, um, it's, it's your family history as well that comes into it very strongly, uh, which is something bigger than you, and that you've had to reach out throughout your life to to keep it going, to to build on um, your your uh, Obas and Omar's memories and what they have done for you know, for this country, which is largely pushed aside. But um, but what, what uh, the Obas did for so many other countries too. And so for you, going to a new country and starting again must be incredibly difficult. I, I, I find it very hard. I had a, a large circle of acquaintances. Mm. I had a small circle, my inner circle of particularly good friends um, and I think that is that has been quite difficult to adjust to mm. I I've got nobody here of my age to talk to oh my gosh you know? mm, that's um, of, of my age you know and the youngsters when when Ron and Michelle Thomas were here recently their um, son and daughter-in-law are probably my children's closest friends and they're an absolutely delightful couple well, they both are, Ron and Michelle and Byron and Candice. They're, they're lovely people. And it was so nice to have somebody of my age to talk to, mm. who understood the way that I think. You know, the, the, the youngsters, the next generation, are all, what, 30 years younger than me. And they talk about things that, that I don't understand. Um, Paul, my son-in-law, and, and Ron's son, Byron, um, are both highly competent cyclists. So they go riding around Australia in the dark. It's quite safe to do so. Um, and the reason they do it in the dark is in the early morning so that they can get home and take care of the children before everybody wakes up. Otherwise they're in trouble. Um, <laughs> but you know that they, that's, those are their interests. Um, Candace Ron's daughter-in-law is, is also an airline captain. So she and Paul will talk airline matters and people and so on. Mm. And, you know, that, that's all as, as well. As much as I know, I know and love aircraft, um, the familiarity 
Uh, I have no familiarity with with how Qantas operates or the people involved. So, you know, it, and I find that difficult. Mm. And you definitely also, do p- p- uh, connect very deeply with people. A message has just come through from Monica. She says, can't wait to welcome Philip back home. She's a darling. What mm. can I tell you? So, you know, that says it so much, Phil. I must admit, you know, um, the thought of you being so far away, I think, has affected um, so many of us. And strangely enough, Shira once said to me that, you know, you you have gone for your Shira, my daughter in Renana, you know, but just for the people who don't know, you've met her and you've met her husband. Anyway, you know, she said for for grandparents going over there, they go over to go and help their children often with the grandchildren. Um, but at the same time, they've got to, you know, find reason to, for them, themselves to a purpose in their own lives. And that takes time. It does. Um, no, 100% correct. It's, it's, I, I think that in fact, my advanced years is, uh, was, was maybe not that it couldn't happen, but it was too late for it to happen easily for me. Mm. If I look at, um, my children, they've adapted well. Taryn, my daughter, now that her mother's here, she's, she's comfortable. Mm. Um, my, my grandchildren, uh, Sam is now eight and he's very well settled. Molly, who just turned two, uh, last week, she, uh, she told, I mean, she had two, what do you know? You, you know that you've got a grandfather that you can boss around <laughs> and a, a grandfather that likes being bossed around. Um, but they, they've, they're all settled. Mm. Um, and, and for me, some days are still a struggle, you know, to actually Find to figure a out where, mm. yeah, where's this all heading, you know? Mm. Um, and I see and, you, um, you know, you're able to do like granddad's day and, and share in Sam's life like that. And, um, you know, you talked about, um, uh, it was, uh, Fly, uh, now, what was it called? In one of your postscripts, that um, you had gone w- with him to go and watch all the trucks. What was that? Oh, uh, yeah. Th- that's that's the the truckers' day. They truckers' day. They have a bunch. Right. Of, yeah, they have a whole load of trucks, uh, lorries, lorries, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the lorries uh, leave from south of um of of Redcliffe, which is an adjoining suburb uh which incidentally is where the b g music the b g s grew up um oh. and there's about an an hour parade of these trucks driving past and they all carry gifts for orphan children. Yeah. And it's the most amazing thing. And so Sam and I took our deck, to, our deck chairs, our camping chairs along and watched these guys coming past. And it just, that is rather nice. The, the yeah. Aussies are very good at that sort of thing. They, they really are. They're very good. I'm not saying South Africans are not by any stretch, but, um, I mean, is that the, uh, the toys, the toy ride that the, the bikers do at home and so on. And, mm. and so now we're very good at it as well, but. And then um, also, very Phil, you also joined a club. I think it was a military club. And because you showed the, there was um, different, they were watching TVs and I mean, that looked pretty good in the photos. Was it a yeah, military club? Yes, now tell me that about is, that. 
it's called the Returned Services League, um, which I suppose the closest equivalent we'd have in South Africa um, is the Moth Order. And the RSL is um, a club or an association for ex-service people. It doesn't matter where, where you're from. Um, and they've got very, very um, opulent uh, properties and clubhouses with multiple restaurants, ballrooms, um, and then very significantly, because it's, this is a big thing in Australia, gaming machines, uh, poker <laughs> machines, pokies as they're called. We're going to get and back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guest today is Philip Bayers. He's in Brisbane, Australia, and our topic is, is the grass greener? And uh, Philip's just telling me a bit about the military club uh, and that he actually joined and how big they are on gaming. Now, I find that very interesting, Phil, because I've never heard of that before. And certainly you're not going to find it in South Africa, I don't think. No, Sue, I, I think... Um, I think South Africa sort of got onto the gaming thing. I think it was sort of um, outlawed in South Africa for for a lot longer than it was here. But these guys, if you go down to the local shopping centre, there are pokey halls where you can go and gamble. <laughs> and the television has um, advertisements. Oh, frequently, multiple times a night um, for online gambling. Mm. Um, and they immediately um, are preceded and, again, after the ad saying, don't let it become a problem. They make money out of you. You're not going to win at this. But the, the ads are all still there. So it's a, it's a mm. big thing I find in, that quite, in Australia. That's quite distressing, actually, because, you know, I, I know going to – if you go to various gambling casinos here, the saddest thing is to see people spending their entire month's salary knowing that their families at home, I mean, we are guessing their families at home are going without food. So, you know, hopefully it's it's more controlled in Australia, but it doesn't sound like it. But, Phil, the no. other thing, going there, did you not find like-minded people there who wanted to chat to you or discuss your own background? Sue, they, the Aussies are a very gregarious people. Mm. I don't think they're as gregarious as we Saffirs are. Um, but if you enter into conversation with them, they are invariably charming and delightful, extremely nice people. Um, and But to actually make the contact or... or, or Make uh, familiarize or social contact with the, with people is actually very difficult. Mm. And talking about the RSL, I find it very difficult, to, um, despite my talking too much and so on, um, to go to the RSL and to chat up some some old toppies like me <laughs> while they're sitting on a poker machine. Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, you don't want to disturb their train of thought and the winning streak, which is probably only going to be temporary anyway. I don't want to be blamed for injuring you prematurely. So, but now tell me um, about birding. Birding, because that's another thing that fascinates me. And I received a, a message from my friend Les Erwick, who's in uh, Sydney, 
And uh, when I was over there for their son's wedding quite a few years ago, Les took me to a bridge. It was just as uh, as na- um, sunset was coming in. It was and it was getting darker and darker. And all of a sudden, these flying foxes took off from the trees below the bridge. I've never seen a sight like it. It was so exciting. Um, Now, that's one of the things that you do mention, um, and that is uh, birding. But today I received a message from uh, from Les saying that it was, first of all, Anzac Day there, which I did know, and also that uh, he'd read an article of yours um, on Omar Smuts, but that we'll do another p- program on that. But thank you, Les, for sending that through. So you you started birding in Australia, but you said the bird books are nowhere near as good as the ones in South Africa. No, no, Sue, we are blessed with an abundance of of very very good bird guides. Um, um, oh, Newman. Roberts is the is for Absolutely. me still the Bible. Yeah. Um, there's Cecil, um, uh, via retail outlets like Chamberlain's in Pretoria, which is a wonderful old Pretoria firm. Um, sponsor bird books. There, there, there are not many here. Um, and the other disadvantage I have at the moment is that where we are staying is a place called Newport. Mm-hmm. which is about a 40-minute drive north of Brisbane City. And it used to be marshland. And what they did was they created waterways, and the soil that they took out of the excavations they dumped next to the holes and waited a few, a few years for them to compact and then built houses on them. And what it means essentially is that the quality of the soil is appalling. I mean, it's, it's clay. Nothing, nothing really grows. Mm-hmm. Certainly, uh, very, very, very few trees of any note um, within ten minute walk of here. So that obviously impacts on the bird population and the bird variety. So one has to go rather further afield to uh, wooded areas or well treated areas to to see the birds. So um, the other problem is that my faithful pair of Pentax binoculars are um, in Cape Town awaiting to get aboard a, sh- a vessel to cross the uh, the Atlantic and eventually hopefully um, arrive in Brisbane so um, I'm using at this stage a pair of travel binoculars which with my rather shoddy eyesight um, make it all quite a challenge I'm sure so, now, um, Phil the other thing talking about the ocean you were going for a swim in the Pacific, but you said you prefer the Indian Ocean. Did you go for your swim in the Pacific? Absolutely. I've had a few of them, and Mm. the Pacific is wonderful. Um, We (laughs) spent a a long weekend at a place called Calandra um, on the Sunshine Coast, and then um, earlier, then later last month in March, we spent a week on the Gold Coast, um, probably about a kilometre and a half from um, surfers paradise and the Pacific is wonderful. It's, it's glorious. I mean, for all intents and purposes, when, when you're in the water trying to keep your head above the waves, you, you may as well be in any ocean in the world. But I just have a, a sentiment attached to the Indian Ocean um, as I have 
a sentiment attached to the Natal South Coast, where I spent so much time, um, and every every time such a happy time. I just it's just a, it's got a place in my heart, mm. um, and it's you look at the you look at the Pacific and you sit down and I can I can stay with the sea for hours without any problem at all, and you think well this is really pretty magnificent, but it's not mine. Mm. You know what I mean? It's not mine. It's, so it's, it's, so it's nothing, it's nothing's mine. really feeling like yours at the moment. No, no. Um, and I think that's, as I, as I said earlier, I think it's probably because of my advanced years and <laughs> maybe lack of flexibility. I don't know. I think it's also very early days because talking to friends who have left for for Israel, for instance, um, it's taken them a while, even though they have, they often find uh, other friends that they've had their whole lives that they didn't realize were living there because um, they had lost uh, contact with them. But it does take time, even if you do know people. Uh, Craig's telling me to go to break. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Philip Bears, and we've been talking about is the grass greener, um, because Philip is now living in Brisbane, Australia. And Philip, I actually want to ask you about recycling, but before then, this goes into recycling, especially with water, because it says there will always be some people who think the grass is always greener on the other side. The reality is the grass is rarely greener on the other side, but it is always greener where you choose to water it. So rarely is R-A-R-E-L-Y, not, is, is rarely greener. <laughs> it's only, it's greener where you choose to water it. So tell me about the recycling in Australia, because that was fascinating. Sue, so Aussie is a very big recycling um, country, uh, they they it is available everywhere, um, and there are two particular aspects of this. The one is that if you so wish, you can have four different rubbish bins. Mm. Um, one is for general rubbish, um, household stuff. Um, the other is for recycling, in which you put uh, bottles. Um, and there's a little on the label, and I think it's the same at home. There's a little label that tells you if something's recyclable or not. Mm. Um, so you put your cardboard and your plastic bottles in there and glass bottles. Uh, and then there's a third one where you, where you can, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just trying to find my glass. There's a glass bin you can get. Mm. And the last one um, that you can get is for grass and leaves. But then what they have as well, and we have a garage full of uh, ribbons and packets at the moment, some containers here, not- notably beer cans and well, cans in general, mm-hmm. um, as well as some plastic bottles have a little, on the label, little sign that says 10 cents. And what happens is you take these um, containers marked in that way, you take them down to um, a council-run waste facility where you put these 
into a machine which counts them automatically. Mm. And they pay you 10 cents per container that you've dropped into, into the machine. Mm. And this is Sam's, this is used for Sam's retirement fund. <laughs> um, actually not, it's, it's actually for his, um, for his gaming fund. Um, he, I think the last At time we were there, eight years old, yeah. Eight years old. Yeah, he got $27 out of the deal. <laughs> My word. Which meant that. And, so, and Phil, we're going to be told to wrap up shortly, but I have to, the one thing that really did amuse me was when I saw the photo of co- half coffins stuck in the wall at Cos- Costco. Do you know what I'm talking Costco, about? Costco, <laughs> abs- absolutely. Costco, um, is like our macro. Mm. Um, which was given an overdose of steroids as an infant. <laughs> it is a, it is a mega mega store, uh, and you can buy literally everything. And sometimes at very good prices, like like Macro, you need to know your prices to see just how good the bargain is. But and you can buy car tires, you can buy everything, white goods, the works, sporting goods, clothing, the trip. And when I was walking out the first time, and there. In a display wall, were half coffins sticking out of the wall. <laughs> so, if you if you uh, if your demise is expected imminently, you can quickly pop along to Costco and go and get a suitable carriage to take you to the Netherlands. Uh, uh, I, I have never seen anything like that in my life. And you know, Costco is also open on Sundays, so. Um, if when Chris happens to snuff it on a fall of his perch <laughs> on a Saturday night, on Sunday morning, you can pop along to Costco and, and um, get something suitable for him. Um, I, I haven't asked because I'm, I'm too scared to ask, but I'm quite sure it comes in different dimensions in terms of widths and length. And prices. <laughs> and on that and note, prices, yeah. Craig's telling me to, to wrap up. Do you want to send a message to anyone? Yeah, I'd like to um, just uh, say hello to Shira and Jordan in Renana in the Holy Land, as well as, of course, to Peter and Jeannie, Rob and Jill and uh, Joel and Beryl. And then I've mentioned uh, already my, my fan club, Monica, Ron and Michelle in South Africa. And just to tell Craig that he really needs to make a plan. He is too impatient time-wise. We need a longer time. He's smiling. He can put in more ad breaks to pay for it. And uh, just joking, it's, it's actually lovely to see you. I can see you, and I'm sorry that I can't see you. I saw Craig right at the start, but yeah. um, Craig, I hope you well. Thank, he, he's saying thank you with his thumb. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been wonderful having you. We're going to be ending on with a, a song, especially for your Mahatmaot, which is for tomorrow, celebrating Israel. And it's by the Fountainheads, and it's called Hope. And, Phil, on that note, I really hope that you do start settling. It's going to take time. Just be patient. People will get to love you and want to be with you. Thank you so much for being on my program. I will speak to you later.